Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, being single doesn't mean anything is wrong with you. It simply means that there is a bigger picture unfolding in your life. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. And folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. Uh, We welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, our website, chat board, however you want to contact us. So, Jonathan, what is our subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, Christian and single, what does life look like? And our theme text is found in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. Okay, Christian and single, what does life look like? So, when I grow up, I want to get married and be a mom or be a dad. And for many of us, there is a simple, there are simple dreams in life that germinate in childhood. As we grow, they blossom into clear and exciting expectations. This expectation of growing up and getting married is so basic and so obvious that we rarely entertain the thought of it not happening. What if, as you grow through life and come to the time when this simple and expected event is supposed to happen, and it doesn't? What if you spend your life being single? There are those who say that remaining unmarried can be amazing and awesome, and that's great, but it can also be a turbulent, discouraging, and derailing experience that overshadows and overwhelms adulthood. How do single Christians find their way to not only coping with this single challenge, but living their lives with contentment, clarity, and conviction? So, Jonathan, we've got a deep, deep subject on the table for today. We sure do. And to help us with that deep, deep subject, we have brought Julie back. Julie, hello. Good evening. How are you? Hi, Rick and Jonathan. I am doing great. And, really excited about this subject. Yeah, and 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 Julie is going to be a, a very specific voice for us uh, today, and I'll explain that right now. Our two, we have two actually two main sources of personal experience in dealing with this particular subject of, of being a Christian single. One is a thirty-something Christian woman named Anne, who's honestly and deeply in the throes of the challenges that a single life can bring. The other source is a fifty-nine-year-old Christian woman named Lynette who has weathered that same storm and come through it stronger and more focused. So one's 30s and one is 59, almost 60. We also sought wise advice from another Christian woman, 50-year-old friend named Joy. So we've got three basic real-life testimonies, if you will, that we're going to be using in this particular podcast. So, So Julie, let's get started because you did a lot of 
communicating with these three individuals. Let's set up the issues. Go ahead. Okay. Well, we want to acknowledge that although we discussed this subject with three Christian women, this is certainly an issue that applies to men as well. And people might be unmarried, they may be divorced, or they may be widowed. And in many ways, it's a secret problem that most of us don't have any idea about. But being single can be a very difficult path. And when it is discussed, it's often in the context of, well, when you won't be single anymore, like something is wrong, that there'll be a healing or a fixing of what was wrong. Now, for those of us who are married, this was a really eye-opening experiment for me because I learned that there's better ways to support our single friends and family in ways that we might not have thought about. Okay, so, now, 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 before you go further than that, because we really want to stress that the individuals that helped us, I mean, really helped us. They poured their souls out with their personal experiences and gave us permission to use them. And it was eye-opening, not only for you, but for me as well. And Jonathan, we were talking the other day and you were like... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's an amazing thing. So go ahead, Julie, continue. I'm sorry well, I interrupted how you. old were both of you when you got married? See, I was only, I was 21 turning 22. I, I, I mean, I turned 22 literally the day after I got married. So I was very young. Jonathan, how about you? Uh, 29. Okay, so I got married young, really young, Jonathan, 29. And Julie, what about your personal background there? Well, I, I didn't get married till I was a couple days before I was 30. And boy, I remember the the anxiety that being single caused, and a lot of it was societal. Um, you know, I moved out of my parents' home at age 23, got a mortgage, and I was all excited that I'm, you know, with this big adult getting this mortgage on my home. And I signed the papers, and it said my name, Julie, comma, spinster. I was in a spinster category. Are you serious? That, that was on the paperwork? No way. And the ironic part is, had I been male, it would have simply said unmarried. Yeah. Those were the options. So female was a spinster. So by age 23, society already had me in a gray bun rocking in a chair with 50 cats. <laughs> no, Julie, I don't know about you rocking in a chair ever. <laughs> <laughs> but the 50 cats, you can see. I can. Well, maybe not 50, maybe yeah. 10 or 15, but not 50. But anyway, so, so folks, to deal with this, we are going to cover five really key, strong focal points today that provide a way to cope with the singleness of things. So let's get started with that, coping with a single life. Jonathan, what is the first focal point? Well, Rick, it's prayer. What should our prayer life look like and consist of? Okay, so let's get started with a premise understood by all three of our friends. And Julie, go ahead with, with that, that premise. Well, what was interesting was when we interviewed these three women, all of them came up with one of the scriptures of Psalms 37, 4 to 5, which we'll read shortly. And it talks about the desires of your heart. And getting married surely is a godly and appropriate desire of your heart. Okay, Jonathan, let's go to that Psalm. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. So that verse is very powerful, very straightforward. And, and let's go to another, another New Testament verse that kind of gives you that same feeling. John, uh, Jonathan, John 15, 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. 
Okay, so you've got those two very yay and amen type scriptures. And, and you think about it, well, if you are you know, trying to serve the Lord, he's going to give you the desires of your heart. Does not receiving this or that desire put us into the category of asking for something that's wrong? And let's go to another scripture on the other side of the fence with that, and then we're going to get into the issue specifically. So, Jonathan, let's go to James chapter 4, part of verse 2 and 3. You do not have because you did not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So you've got God will give you the desires of your heart, and then you think, well, wait a minute, and if I'm not getting the desires of my, of my heart, James says, I'm asking in the wrong way, I'm asking amiss. Well, we've got two, two extremes. So, so, Julie, let's go to our sources, our single individuals who helped us put this all together and give us some of the insights from their, their testimonies. Okay, so Anne, you know, she's our 30-something. She had this to say, and I'll, I'll quote, One of my desires is to have a partner to serve the Lord with and to share that love with our children. I can remember wanting to be a wife and mother, even as a little girl. And I believe that it's a godly desire. I pray that if it's not God's will to bless me with a husband, that he remove or refocus this desire in me, that he fills my heart with contentment in serving him and others differently. If there is a man designed for me, I pray that God works in me to make me the woman designed for that man. And the experiences I'm going through now will help mold me into a more compassionate and loving person and better partner. But it would be easier knowing which one I was praying for, for the man to come or to refocus (laughs) the desire. And then I have to remind myself, well, that's where faith comes in. And so that is a very real dilemma because you've got the idea that, look, marriage is a godly thing. The scriptures very clearly tell us that. And so our 30-something single Christian uh, contributor here is telling us, you know, I get confused. What am I supposed to be praying for here? This is a difficult thing. So let's go now to Lynette. Now, she's the 59-year-old. Her perspective is obviously a little different. Go ahead, Julie. So Lynette, she grew up in a house of laughter, and her parents worked together, Christian parents, uh, towards the common goal of having people in their home open for whoever needed to visit or whoever needed a place to stay, whether that was for days or even years. And so she said the following, well, I naturally assumed that my role in life was to marry and support a godly man in our mutual vision of God's will for our lives And whenever anyone asked me what I wanted to be, I would always answer a mom and thought that 10 kids would be my perfect future. Wait, wait, wait. 10 kids? She really said that. 10. 10. Okay. And and as time goes on, she reduces that to two, then one, (laughs) then maybe none. Um, So she said a really good phrase, we make plans and God changes them. So as I grew older, she said, I discovered that no men in my church shared my vision of being happily married to me with 10 children in a home that was always open to others. And as many girls do, I looked for a younger version of my father, but did not find him. Okay, so we've got Anne saying, don't know which to pray for. And Lynette, having been through almost twice as much life, saying, I've looked over my life and, you know, we make plans. God changes them. Things have a way of developing. A little bit more with with Lynette's story, Julie. Go ahead. So she went on to talk about what happened in her 20s and 30s and 40s. And she said, my birthday starting have more started having more and more candles on the cake. And I began to realize that my childbearing years were not as many as they had been. And so 
eventually I began to look to the Lord and say, well, I am willing to not have children if that's what you think is best, but I still wanted a husband. I prayed to God and I asked him for a husband, but he did not answer my prayers in the time frame and with the answer I was expecting. Okay, so pause right there. Because so you see this process, this development, this potential growth that's moving along, saying, okay, all right. But, but you can also see that they're still setting expectations. And that's an interesting thing with that, because we all do it. And what's interesting is when you look at them, when you read their complete stories, we don't have time to go over them all here. They start out with, here's my list of 20 things that I want in a man. It's going to be this, this, this. And as the years go by, as the decades go by, okay, well, I'll scratch off number five, 10, and 12, but boy, I still want one through seven. <laughs> and, and then it comes down to, all right, look, I just want a godly man who's breathing and, and here <laughs> and someone who will love me. And, and I think that goes down to our basest emotion. We all, no matter what our walk in life is, we all want to be needed and we all want to be loved. And, and it's so appropriate to want to be needed and want to be loved. So there's nothing wrong with this desire, but we still have that dichotomy of give you the desire of your, of your heart and you don't get what you want because you ask amiss. We have to figure that out. So let, let's, let's condense this. And, and Jonathan, you know, we had this, the focal point issue of, of prayer. You know, how, how is it that we should be praying? What should our prayer life look like and consist of? So what's our focal point resolve? And by resolve, we're not saying the answer, but it's the resolve of your mind being set to deal with it. What's the focal point resolve dealing with prayer? As a single Christian, let my prayer life be rich in honesty regarding my deep human desires and overflowing in desire and faith to unfold my thy will be done in me. Okay, so that our prayer lives, for those of us who are single, specifically we're speaking with you today, prayer life to be rich in honesty. Tell God how you feel. Let Be blunt, be straightforward. And also have that overflowing desire and faith to unfold, thy will be done in me. You know, Rick and Julie, Jewel and I did not get married until Jewel was about 29. And I know it was challenging for her to be single. And I asked her if she'd tell us a little bit about her experience. All right, Jewel. Hello. Hi. Well, back then, my sister, all my friends, and my cousins were all married. People seem to get married younger than they do now. And I was determined to marry someone who held my same Christian goals and ideals. And this limited my options, but I know it was right. I came to the conclusion that I was probably going to be by myself and needed to support myself. So I went back to college to become a dental hygienist instead of remaining a dental assistant. But because my time, money, and decisions were my own, I was able to travel and attend church functions in Europe and throughout the United States. When I was lonely, I would host dinners and Bible studies in my home. And even though I was the only single one at the table, I was determined not to let it stop me from serving the Lord in ways I enjoyed. Joel, do you have any advice for those who may be in the same situation? Well, my advice is don't isolate yourself from others because you're by yourself and pray. I not only prayed for God's will in the matter, but I prayed I could accept his will, whatever it was. And I thought about the scripture, which Julie mentioned earlier, where God gives you the desires of your heart. 
And the Lord knew I desired to be married, but I also understood that God knew what was best for me. We can desire things in life that may not be for our best welfare, because God knows all we need to trust him. Thanks, lovely. Jewel, that's a very appropriate, absolutely perfect story for what we're, we're, we're looking at, and, and very, very important advice as well. So, you know, let, let's take that advice and let's build on it. And again, we're talking about prayer. How do you pray if you're not getting the desires of your heart? Are you praying amiss? Are you praying wrongly? Well, look, Jesus' own prayer helps us see the appropriate mix of honest desire and humble acquiescence. Let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, verses 41 and 42. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. So let's look at this critically. We're saying God will give you the desires of your heart. He will do it. Or you're not getting the desires because you pray amiss. And yet Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is praying with the deepest earnestness you can imagine a human being to ever have. And he's saying, Father, if it, if it be your will, remove this cup from me. He is asking God for something that God does not do. So are we going to say that Jesus was not praying according to uh, what was right? Was Jesus praying amiss? No, he was praying, but God had a different plan. And that's why Jesus' prayer gives us the, the uh, inability to, 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 to see this as something amiss, because he says, nevertheless. And, you know, Jonathan, one of your favorite scriptural words is all. Yes. One of mine is nevertheless. Not my will, but thy will be done. That's how God gives us the desires of our heart. Because the bottom line of prayer is the greatest desire of your heart, if you're a Christian, is to serve God. And if he has you serve him in a different path than you imagined, he is giving you the desire of your heart. Let's not forget that when it comes to prayer. So, prayer and perspective. Both are necessary starting points for all of us. You're right, and there's a long way to go. Prayer sets the table, but how do Christian singles cope with the embedded everyday life challenges? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, everyday life is where we are made or broken. The subliminal challenges, the natural suggestions and reminders of ours being a couples-driven society cannot be underestimated. Those of us who are married have no idea how this works and how difficult this can be for those who are not married. And I want to stress the fact that those of us who are married have no idea. Just to illustrate that in a tiny, tiny little way, I, I, I love quotes. Everybody around here knows I love quotes. We start every Christian Questions podcast with a quote. I just love little profound tidbits from people. So I was looking for Christian and single quotes, and I found a whole slew of them. And I would say nine out of ten of them were quotes about, oh, you're single, but God will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, it's this way, but just wait, something better is coming. And I realized that 
we all don't have a clue. <laughs> There's so much more to this than we think. So we talked about prayer and the nevertheless that belongs in our prayer. Nevertheless, God's will be done. That is the greatest desire of any Christian's heart. So we need to focus on that. But our next focal point issue is something that we need to build off of prayer with. Jonathan, what is that? That's right, Rick. It's practical, everyday life. What are the pitfalls, challenges, and temptations? Okay. Practical, everyday life. All right, Julie, give us, give us some more background from our sources, our single sources who have got such wisdom for us here. Well, I think this is where those of us who are married and, and mean well really need to listen closely. So let's start with Joy. She's 50, and she explains what she goes through. So here's what she said. Being single is sometimes considered a shameful thing in our society. It's not easy, especially when you grow up on fairy tales and imagine a romantic life with a wonderful husband. It's hard to explain to coworkers why you don't date people who don't have the same Christian values as you, so it's societally awkward. They say, you've never been married? You've never had kids? And then there's a big pause. Sorry. But it's only the divorced friends who say, we should all be like you. You were smart. I'm always sad that it doesn't work out for them. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Continue. So Rick and Jonathan, what I thought we could do now is do a little role playing. So Anne gave us some uh, things that well-intentioned people have lovingly said to her. And so I thought I'll play the part of Anne and you will play the part of these loving, well-intentioned people. And I'll tell you how she really would like to respond to them. Okay, so we're going to give you the, the typical um, conversation pieces that those of us who probably are married would, would have with those who are single, and we mean well. We want to encourage, but they don't work out so well. So I'll, I'll, I'll do the first one. So, okay. my, so my dear Anne, don't you worry. God will grant you the desires of your heart. That's what the <laughs> psalm says. So is this not a godly desire? Am I being selfish in wanting to be a wife and mother? Am I not serving the Lord correctly? And how do I change the desires of my heart? So it is a simple, it's a conclusion that, okay, well, where is it? <laughs> you know, and, and it, it calls into question the whole very being of that. Jonathan, take the next one. Well, I know the secret, Anne. It'll happen when you stop wanting it. Ah, yes. I know God gives us experiences that we don't want, but does he actually give people spouses when they truly don't want one? Really? <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny because we can say, oh, yes, it'll happen when you stop wanting it. And it sounds so poetic and so profound. But the reality is it doesn't make sense. Next no, one. and how do you stop wanting something that you want? Yeah, and, and we've got to get to that. Okay, and this is dealing with the practical everyday life that a single individual Christian who wants to be married but simply isn't has to go through. So, so, so Anne, here's the next one. Look, I know. I, you're, you're, you're such a wonderful sister. I know that the Lord has someone special for you. Really? How? How? I don't know, and I've been praying about this for a long while. Am I just not trusting enough? And is God telling me no, or is God telling me wait? <laughs> see, you see, that's not helpful. What you've said, right. the Lord and, is something special for me. You're getting my hopes up, right? And that's the point is to be helpful, and we've got to focus on that. Jonathan, why don't you do the next one? All right, and you'll be a wonderful wife and mother. <sighs> Thanks. 
not helpful. <laughs> if God has given me these gifts and characteristics, but with no husband or children, what does that mean? I'm still waiting to see how he wants me to use these gifts. So are you saying them that I can only use these incapacities as a wife and a mother? So again, you know, not helpful, right? We're, we're, we're trying to encourage by saying, Oh, look forward. It can happen for you. But what if it's not supposed to happen? You know, mm -hmm. nobody's dealing with that. And so I can, here's one here. And here's, here's the real answer. Look, Oh, phew. you're already married to Jesus. Oh, yes, I am. And that relationship is my priority, but it doesn't take away my desire to have an earthly marriage and partner to serve with. And some days, as much as I love Jesus, his not being able to physically hold me or wipe away my tears is difficult. So, you know, that's a great concept, but again, not necessarily helpful. One more, Jonathan. And why, why are you still single? <laughs> why indeed? I don't know. And given a choice, it's currently not my preference. All right. So, you know, that gives you a sense of it's difficult to really, truly encourage somebody who is in this situation of being single and not wanting to be. And, you know, for those of us who are married, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it's like. I just don't know. So we need to get to some scriptural principles to cope with the practical everyday life issues because we're talking about practical everyday life. So feeling judged or categorized can bring us down the road of doing the same thing in return, judging those others back and characterizing them back, even if they're not doing it on purpose. Two wrongs have never made a right and it doesn't work here either. James chapter 4 verses 11 and then we're going to go to verses 12 to 17. We're going to break it up in pieces. Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and the judges the law. But who are you who judge your neighbor? Okay, so the, the scripture is, you know, don't speak against one another. Be careful with your words because they can uplift or they can destroy. And too often they destroy and we don't even know it, especially dealing with those who are single. Another thing that Anne did in her, in her writing to us well, she gave several points of advice, just general advice for the single Christian woman or man. And so, Julie, we want to drop those pieces of advice in as we go through the rest of this podcast. What's her first piece of advice here? Okay, so she said, embrace the awkwardness of being single, surrounded by couples, and find opportunities to spend time in groups and others who are single. Don't lock yourself away from life and its experiences. Give God space to work. Okay, so embrace the awkwardness of it all. So as we go about our life plans, care needs to be taken to see them through the highest perspective. You know, it's easy to see life through the perspective of how I feel, but what we're looking for is to be able to see it from a higher perspective. Let's go back to James 4, Jonathan, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Okay, so the idea is, look, we want to do what we want to do. And James is saying, whoa, go slow, go slowly here. Because Sometimes things don't work out the way we would like them to work out. So, so Jonathan, just a, a point of perspective for a Christian single here. For a Christian single, 
Acknowledging and following this higher perspective can be elusive as we are so naturally wired to see and want a specific outcome. Okay, we are deeply wired to want something to be a very specific way. And sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And that's what this James scripture is all about. So for the Christian single, this is an important scriptural concept in dealing with your everyday life. Again, Jonathan, James chapter 4, let's go to verses 15 through 17. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Okay, if the Lord wills, that's got to be our perspective. That's got to be our clarity as we move forward with our, our Christian lives and our Christian dedication. So, Julie, you know, we, we've gone over a lot of phrases and well-intentioned people might offer as consolation. What else do we have from Anne in this in this position that helps us that that's helpful for us in dealing with all of this? Well, here's what she might be better received and more helpful. Number one, and again, this is to the people who are not single giving advice. Okay, put yourself. Okay, before you go there, though, so so what you're saying is this is the how to think when encouraging your single friends section. Correct. Okay, so this is for those of us who know single Christians, who want to be encouraging to those single Christians, who want to help them in their lives, who want to truly, truly uh, uh, contribute to their lives. These are the things that we need to really be thinking about. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you before. I feel like Jonathan. (laughs) Thanks. Put yourself in their shoes. The question you're going to ask or statement you're going to make about their single status have the potential to cause pain? And is the answer even any of your business? All right. So the first point is put yourself in their shoes. And that's not an easy thing to do, especially if you have, you know, years of marriage behind you and and a whole different kind of life behind you. To put yourself in there, and trust me, it's not easy because I went along my merry way and this, this, this subject was brought out And I thought, well, you know, there are some pretty logical answers to this. And then Mm -hmm. I started to read what these these Christian women wrote, and I thought, oh my goodness, I have not even, I don't even know where their shoes are, never (laughs) mind put myself in them. And it really is, really is a challenge. So that's the first one. Um, Jonathan, why don't you actually read to us, what's the second uh, how to think when encouraging your single Christian friends? Be someone they can share this struggle with. Listen. Let them vent. Let them cry. Remember, when you're single, you don't always have someone to come home to and talk with. All right, Julie, any response on that? Well, I think that's a that's one that even someone who's been married a long time can understand. Just listen. Okay. Just be there. Okay. Third point, Julie, go ahead. Offer to pray with them, especially if they do share with you. And here's her really great advice. Pray together in that moment with specific and then continue to pray for them. Okay, so pray with them and then pray for them. There's two parts to that. We can't miss the two parts. Jonathan, the fourth one. Spend time with them. One-on-one in a large group, not always focused on couples or things, 
or you have to pair up or split in half. Okay, so spend time and make sure that time will be, quote, quality time for that single individual, not just time that you happen to have fitting in along with other things. And then, Julie, let's go to the last one here. Uh, remind them that they are not alone and then remind them again and again. Have you reminded them lately? <laughs> so these are really six really, really simple and important points. Put yourself in their shoes. Be someone they can share the struggle with. Offer to pray with them and for them. Spend time with them. Remind them that they're not alone. That's one, five things, not that, six. That's right. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> five things. Uh, w one more piece of Anne's advice here, Julie. So she came to the conclusion that God's love is the greatest you will ever know, and it's the only true love we can experience. Don't look to or rely on others for your happiness. Okay. So all of this is in the practical, everyday life of dealing with the challenges, the significant, heart-wrenching challenges of being a single Christian man or woman. So in everyday life, let's go to our focal point resolve. Jonathan, what is that? As a single Christian, see each day and experience as God sees them. He sets them before you in such a way to stretch you upward towards his face. Okay. See, uh, as a single Christian, every day and experience, look at it from the standpoint of what does God see in this day? What does God see in this experience? Because if he, if you are a Christian following his will, he's setting your, your life before you. See it from his, through his eyes. Not an easy thing, but a really important thing for us to do. So, you know what I found on Instagram today? Someone had wrote this. What may seem like a disappointment could be God setting you up for a rescue. Trust his plan, even though you don't understand the path. Oh, that's good. That's really good. What looks like a disappointment may be God's rescue, God's mercy, God's care for you. And we've got a, a great scriptural promise that fits dealing with our practical everyday life from God's perspective. Isaiah 41.10. Jonathan, go ahead. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So in this verse, it's saying, don't anxiously look around you. Why? I'm God. I have got this. I can strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. And remember the desire of your heart. The greatest desire of any Christian's heart is to do the will of God. So I'm going to insert that Psalm 37, 14 scripture in with this particular verse and say, not only will I help you and strengthen you and uphold you, I will give you the desires of your heart that have to do with serving me, God, first and foremost. That's where I'm bringing you through your single life at this point. This is tough stuff, but it really gets to the, to, to the issue of making sure that we're seeing life as God would have us see it. That's how we begin to cope with our practical, everyday life. So, so much of how we cope depends on where we look. It does. So let's get more specific. Everyday life has its practical, everyday solutions. 
What about finding and focusing on your purpose? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. For a single Christian, just getting through your days will, well, just get you through your days. While struggling to do this, it, it becomes ever more important to have your larger purpose always before your mind. Given time, the presence of a larger purpose inevitably redirects your every day. So what we need to do now is we need to see ourselves in, in, in light of not just our prayer life and understanding how to pray and realizing that if God doesn't give us this or that particular desire, it's not praying amiss. God just may be guiding down us down a different road, getting our practical everyday life in order. But now we want to focus it even more clearly. So what's our next focal point issue for dealing with a single Christian life, Jonathan? Well, Rick, it's finding, holding, and accomplishing your purpose finding, holding, and accomplishing your purpose. And folks, so we're going to be dealing with purpose for the single Christian in this particular segment. In the next couple of segments, though, we're going to get to passion, which has a lot to do with intimacy, and then the final segment will be peace. So we want you to stay with us for those. So Julie, go ahead. In terms of purpose, bring us up to date, if you will, with the stories from these uh, Christian women who gave us their, their lives to work with. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Lynette. So Lynette is attractive, very witty. She's smart. She knows her Bible inside and out. She's outgoing and she's willing to help others at great personal sacrifice. You know how people do things begrudgingly? They'll offer something and then they're like, okay, I'm going to pick them up from the airport. She serves others with joy and with passion. And it's an, she's an amazing person to know. Um, and so where, she, where we last left her off, she finally decided after her list got smaller and smaller that at this point she was going to be purely God's will, God's way, and uh, she would no longer be seeking for a husband. So let's drop back in on her story. She said, earlier I told God my ideal of the perfect man, and I was sure that if such a man loved me that I would never ask God for anything else. But in his own miraculous and unexpected way, And in his own time, I received the close bond of friendship with a person who is exactly what I described to God in my prayer. It's not romantic love. It's a bond on a spiritual level. It'll never lead to marriage or anything more than friendship. And I don't want it to. And this is what surprises me most, she said. I am completely content being single. And I feel this is the way that God answered my prayer. Okay, let's pause there for a second, because there is obviously a growth process that she's talking about. Obviously, the sense of working her way from having 10 kids to now being older, wiser, and seemingly much, much more accepting. Correct. Okay. And also, um, she received the answer and said, oh, he did it for me, but in a way, I wasn't thinking he would. Mm-hmm. granting her the desire of her heart. You see, that verse, when we put it in the context of God's will first, is more powerful than we would have ever thought. Go ahead, continue, Julie, with her story. 
So she says, but he didn't answer my prayer overnight or even in the span of 10 years. And it's through the mountaintops and the valleys of life's journey, filled with disappointment and broken hopes and dreams. And finally, in my late 40s or early 50s, I began to understand, and here's the key, that God's will for my life really was best. I quit looking, but I quit being discontent. I started finding reasons to enjoy being single. Okay. And... You know, this reminds me of, you know, you ask for a present and the wrapping paper isn't as you expected. The bow is the wrong color, but it's still the gift. And yeah. that's what she was getting, the yeah. contentment. Yeah, Jonathan, I don't know. The, the, that's not a good analogy for you or I. I it doesn't yeah. matter what the bow don't looks like. Uh, there's a football <laughs> and a guy that's sweaty throws. Okay, forget <laughs> yeah, yeah. With my well, well, you know, but just just before you go further, just we want to we want to just reiterate that this is this is about being a single Christian. This is about the extraordinary test that comes with being a single Christian that those of us who are married have no clue about. It is a quiet, silent test that happens, and you can be sure that 99 out of 100 of those Christians who go through life single are going through these struggles. And folks, those of us who are not single really owe it to ourselves to get up to speed on what it's like so we can actually be Christian towards our Christian friends. So she found the joy of being single. Julie, what, what were some of those joys of being single? Well, first, she was able to be with her father through his end-of-the-life experience, end-of-life experiences. And so many married women move away from their family and can't be there for their parents except for short visits. Uh, she also said as a blessing of being single that she's having wonderful times with her mom as her mother ages. They travel together, they study together, they discuss things together, and they're the closest of friends. And she said, I would have missed this privilege if I would have had to have lived far from her. Uh, she also continues and said, I've been able to continue my parents' legacy of serving God by serving his children. Remember, I told you she was, she was a server mm -hmm. in the day-to-day -day aspects of life. And I would not have found this avenue of service without their help, my okay. parents. Okay, so, so those first three gems of life that she found really have to do with her parents. And there's something powerful to be said about that because, you know, you're right. A lot of times we, we, we get married and we start, quote, our own lives. And the lives of those who gave us life end up being put in the background. And she had this incredible opportunity to, to make that a centerpiece of learning. And, you know, that's a, that's a hugely awesome thing because when those folks get older, the wisdom just can pour out of them. And there she is just lapping it all up. So just interesting um, um, observation there. A couple of other things that you wanted to, to share in terms of what she gained from her single life. Yes, but also notice in what you just said, she is mature enough that she's taking these experiences and saying, oh, these are from the Lord. These are blessings from the Lord. Yeah. That's where I'm getting these blessings. You know, it's the paradigm shift of how she's looking at these experiences. So she goes on to say, this rebellious, once rebellious and frequently disobedient child has learned to trust and obey. And she said, well, maybe I should say is learning to trust and obey because it's a long process, but I do want to trust and obey God. I want to serve him in every aspect of my life, including trusting his plan for my life 
without trying to change it. Okay. Wow, that's powerful. So, and, and you know, we, we, she started with that earlier and made that observation, and now this is where the observation has taken root and grown into this really strong uh, Christian individual. Next, next one. She said, I'm able to live by my financial values, to give as I think the Lord would approve, to avoid large debt, to travel, learn languages, become close to people, without a husband having the right of headship to go against my understanding of how God wants me to live. Okay, so you've got several things having to do with her parents in terms of these gems of her single life, uh, learning to trust and obey. And look, for any Christian— any of these 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 five things, you know, having these uh, having to be able to live really sound financial values in in terms of Christianity, these are important life lessons. And she's saying, I've had the opportunity to learn these things because I have not had things getting in my way. So accepting and absorbing your purpose really comes from just being willing to acquiesce to what you've seen. Jonathan, go ahead. Well, Rick, these women are dedicated to doing God's will. It's clear in everything they've shared. But some Christians out there aren't given this purpose in their lives. Their, their purpose is, oh, they get to pick a cloud, pick a harp, and in the future get to play a little tune for eternity. The, sometimes the purpose that we're given as Christians isn't enough, and it's actually lacking from what the scriptures teach our purpose truly is if we love the Lord and want to do his will. So what you're saying is sometimes we're taught that Christian purpose is way smaller than what Christian purpose really is. And for a single Christian, especially, you've got to find that big, powerful, scriptural Christian purpose. Julie, a little bit more from uh, our uh, Christian single uh, friends. Well, I do want to make a note that, you know, we've got listeners all over the world, and we realize that the concept of marriage is different all over the world, and some may have arranged marriages, for example. So while being single may not be everyone's specific problem, this scriptural principle of contentment in whatever state you're in applies to every single one of our listeners. Right. Absolutely. Um, So remember Joy? Joy is our 50-year-old, and she's amazing. She is so talented. She paints. She plays music. She has a wide range of interests, rarely stops smiling. She's someone you want to be with. She said this, I look at so many marriages, even those evenly yoked, and see a fair share of problems. It helps to know that when there are pro- while there are problems being single, there's also issues for those married in the Lord. I think it's better to be single than be in an unhappy marriage. I embrace my freedom. If I want to plan a trip, I don't have to consult with anyone except God. If I want to purchase something, the choice is mine. If I want to take up painting, no one minds. All right, so you get this sense of the clarity that in your thinking, in your human thinking that, oh, if only this could be, it's, it's, not, it's not fantasy and they lived happily ever after. There's always issues no matter what pathway we're on. And it sounds funny to say it, but you can take heart in the fact that the pathway you're not on has issues too. Oh, okay. lots of them. <laughs> she says as a married woman. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, you know, 50% of marriages end where? In divorce. Marriage is not easy. No, that's for sure. So so now let's, you know, and we're talking about absorbing and putting to, putting in place your purpose. Let's get to the scriptures uh, on this particular issue. We've got a, what I think is a wonderful example, scriptural example of finding purpose. God told Moses he was chosen to lead Israel. 
but he first had to absorb his purpose and the tools of that purpose. So in the next few verses we're going to discuss, Moses is speaking with God, and remember, God is speaking to him through the burning bush in this. So this is Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Then Moses said, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? So, and he said, a staff. Oh, sorry. So, so Moses was doubting. He was afraid. And he, but he had the tool in his hand already, but he was still afraid. So, so Jonathan, what's the lesson, the single Christian lesson here? Well, Rick, sometimes a single Christian struggles so hard in their every day that they do not see their purpose. They may have. Folks, if you're a single Christian, you may have the staff already in your hand. You just have to talk to God and have him show you how to use the tool that you already have. It's not about having some new tool. It's about using what you already have. That's what he showed to Moses. And, and isn't that what isn't that what Jewel told us? Yes. You know, what did she do? She invited people over to her house for a Bible study. She right. made dinner for people. You know, she she had that ability in her hand to make that happen for others and she did. So and, and, and that's exactly the point of the Moses story. So just a, a couple of lines of Anne's advice here. So she said, it's, it is difficult not to compromise or to settle when you feel alone. Acknowledge that and still stand firm. And I will add, look to see what's in your hand, because that's what God asked Moses. What is that in thine hand? He already had the tool. But see, for Moses, it wasn't enough that he had been given his staff as a symbol of God's presence and authority. Now, God wants more from him. God wanted him to be a mouthpiece as well. And God assures Moses that he can do what he's going to now ask him to do. So, Jonathan, let's go to Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. So Moses is doubting, and God says, I've got this. Don't worry I've got you in my hands. You can, you can do this. But Moses is still afraid. So Jonathan, bring that to our single Christian friends and a lesson for them in this Moses experience. Sometimes a single Christian doubts their ability to go it alone in spite of God's assurance. Just like Moses. Sometimes a single Christian can have that challenge just like Moses, and say, okay, I know you want me to do that, but I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure. So Moses pleads in his insecurity with God, and God helps him, uh, uh, helps him to accept a way to accomplish his purpose. The way that he finally accepted to accomplish his purpose wasn't what God had originally intended. It was through his brother Aaron. His co-laborer in life would now be his co-laborer in God's purpose. So God sees Moses' insecurity, and he makes an adjustment, but it's not an easy adjustment. Exodus 4, 13 to 15. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. 
you are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. So God says, okay, you just don't think you can do it. It's fine. You're still working with me. You're still my servant. I will give you help. I will give you a co-laborer to help you do those things that you don't think you can. So Jonathan, let's bring that to the single Christian's lessons of their Moses experience. Sometimes a single Christian needs to co-labor, to find mutual godly purpose with a friend and go. So here's the thing. God gave Moses help, but he didn't let Moses rely on his spouse. He had Moses rely on a co-laborer to do this incredible spiritual work of deliverance. So if you're single and God is giving you something to do that feels too big, find a co-laborer, find somebody, work together, lock arms. It's scriptural. If Moses needed Aaron and God blessed it, certainly you can need others and God can bless that as well. Be Moses. Be the Moses of your own life, of your own purpose. Use what's in your hand. Move forward, just like Moses did. Even though he had a hard time believing he could, God still blessed him. Let's go to Anne's advice real quick here, Julie. She said, think about opportunities where you can do more for the Lord and others, and go do it. Spend time working on your relationship with your Heavenly Father and the others He has brought into your life. Okay, think about what you can do, go do it. Work on that relationship and be engaged in the work. So Jonathan, our focal point resolve, the, the, the resolve of our mind with this godly purpose thing is what? Focus on your godly purpose and it will prevail in your practical everyday life. See, focus brings the prevailing of the purpose. Without the focus, there is no purpose. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So it's a matter of perspective, and it's a matter, again, of the desires of your heart. That's Psalm 37, 14. Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else that you need, not that you want, that you need will be added to you, and those will become the desires of your heart. Be the Moses of your own life. You know, sometimes it's the same old answers that always work. So make a decision. Not only make it, but follow it. Prayer guides our practical life. Purpose gives it direction. What about a single Christian's passion? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. For many single Christians, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is passion, intimacy. Such longing cannot simply be halted, but its energy can be redirected. Think of a space capsule orbiting the moon. The pull of the moon's gravity actually gives the capsule the energy to break free of that orbit and catapult towards Earth, its rightful home. And we've got to think of ourselves in that type of a situation where we have the passions of our life, the physical, earthly passions of life. They don't just shut off. They stay with us. What do you do with them? Before we get into the focal 
point issue of earthly passion, which is such an important thing. I want to go to a soundbite, and this is yet another story of another individual who found themselves, we're going to call it, suddenly single. So we'll just let her explain the story. And this is read by one of our Christian Questions um, volunteers. In my late 20s, I was unable to find anyone. I started to think that perhaps this was the Lord's will for me, to remain single. One day, when I was particularly depressed, I suddenly realized I had two choices. Either remain miserable, or make the conscious decision to find happiness in being by myself. From that moment on, I began to deliberately look for positive aspects to being single. My time, money, and decisions were my own, and I had the freedom to do as I wished. Ironically, soon after I hit my singleness stride, I met my husband in my 30s and everything changed dramatically as I shifted into a new stage of my life. Being married was an adjustment and required just as much conscious decision-making to blend with someone and find happiness in sharing all aspects of my life with him. However, after nine years of marriage, and not by my choice, we are in the process of divorcing and my status has changed to suddenly single. So that's a whole other dimension to being Christian and single. Not by choice, this individual is, and this is a current experience, by the way it's written, it's a current experience, going through the painful uh, uh, um, challenge of now being broken apart. Not wanting to, but that's just what's happening. So. This all has to do with earthly passion. And, and, you know, you can be suddenly single because your spouse passes away. That's a whole different level of issues. And, and we did recently a program on, on, on managing grief that can really be helpful along those lines. We want you to take a look at that if, if that's your situation. But so, Jonathan, our next focal point is simple. What is it? It's our earthly passions and desires. Okay. Julie, what about earthly passions and desires? Well, the unmarried who are striving to follow biblical principles may feel that they're missing out on intimacy that was created by God as far back as Adam and Eve. And we don't want to forget the Christians who are struggling with their own sexuality, who in good conscience can't be married to the opposite sex and are leading celibate lives, not acting on those passions. We have utter respect for someone by fight. And that's a terrific example of self-sacrifice. And, and you know, th- that is such a, a powerful example. We've got just a couple of lines from one of our um, male Facebook friends, Jonathan. What is it? Uh, I struggle with it because I'm a Christian with same-sex attraction. Super lonely. And, you know, oh, so sad. It, it, it's sad. But, you know, the, uh, again, for those of us who are not in that situation, we don't have an idea. But when you see someone who has that struggle, folks, take the time, give them your heart, show them support, help them, hold them, encourage them in the ways that can, that can inspire them because it's a lifelong struggle. For, and, and, and you've got to, if, if Christianity is all about brotherhood, then be their brother, be their sister, engage in that relationship to be helping to hold them up. Just we also asked some people on Quora about coping with Christian and single, being single and Christian, and we got a, actually a very, very um, interesting response from somebody named Robert. Jonathan, what is that? Why do you have to cope at all? Just because the world promotes promiscuity or immorality, true or not, doesn't mean you personally have to join in the fracas, right? <laughs> He's right, but for some of us, 
it may be harder than for others of us. And that's where, depending on your physical makeup, depending on your, your, your genetic balance, some of us have far more drive and long certain lines than others. How do you manage that if you're single? So, Julie, let's go back to Anne, our 30-something single Christian woman who's in the middle of dealing with all of this. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Anne. Anne is a beautiful girl inside and out. She is intelligent. She is well-traveled. She has her own career, her own house. She's very articulate, as you can tell by these quotes that she's provided for us. And like our other ladies, she loves the Lord. And on this particular topic of passion, she writes the following. While morals in our society have definitely degraded, marriage, and at least the part about being a couple, is still a focal part of it. As a woman, a lot of emphasis is placed on your looks and how physically attractive you are. Be sexy. Be desirable. See how this attractive man looks at the gorgeous woman using product XYZ. (laughs) We're constantly marketed to with the subliminal message that you need this item to be in a relationship. Disney princesses find their prince charming wandering through the woods, whistling down a well, or going about their everyday tower life. (laughs) It makes finding someone seem so easy. So much in our society is structured around couples. It's often just assumed that adults will have a partner and that there's something wrong, odd, or weird about them if they don't. All right. You know, and, and she's so right and so clear in that. It, society makes it look like, well, duh, this is where you ought to be, and you're not. And you just have that sense of being an outcast and, and on the outside of life looking in. Go ahead. So... She said a verse that's often referred to when discussing marriage comes up. It's 1 Corinthians 7, 9, and it's the Apostle Paul. And he said, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So her question to us is, so what if you're burning while still trying to find God, follow godly principles of not being intimate and there's no one to marry? Okay, so great. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. Thank you, Apostle Paul. That's great advice. <laughs> but what if there's nobody there to right. marry? That's a and, hard and, one. And what I did was I asked Lynette this question. Okay. And again, you you know, you've got Anne, who's a little younger, and Lynette, who's already been through all this. And she's got that more mature perspective on it. And here was her advice. Okay. She said, don't experiment. And you don't miss what you've never had. And I think so her, her advice here is, you know what? This is not for you right now. And so she said, um, the more we live our lives in purity, the easier the lack of physical intimacy will be. And that means purity of thought too. Don't fill your mind with desire that your body cannot enjoy in this season of life. A little curiosity is not always a good thing. So what is that a way to look at it? It is. And that's a hard way to look at it. And it's a difficult way to look at it because in this world, in this society, literally everywhere you turn, you're being reminded of sexuality. All the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is no break, and it's twice on the weekends. You know, So it, it is just everywhere. And so Lynette's advice really is powerful. Don't experiment. And I love the line, don't miss what you never had. God will give you the desires of your heart. But remember, for a Christian, any Christian, the true desire of your heart is to do the will of God. That desire is carried out in each of us in many different ways. So let's now go to an example 
scriptural example of of managing the passions and and the and the and the distractions of life. Let's look at Israel. They were looking um, at the time of Isaiah to get help from Egypt in dealing with Assyria. Assyria was giving them trouble. They were looking to their neighbor to the south to say, "Hey, can you help us out?" Instead of looking to God. Now that's not really smart, if you ask me. When you are God's chosen people, you don't look to other people, idolatrous people, for help. You should be looking up. But anyway, here's what happened. Isaiah chapter 30, uh, and we'll break this up, verses 9 through 21. Go ahead, Jonathan, 9 through 11. For this is a rebellious people who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us unpleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Okay, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Tell us illusions. Don't speak to us about what's right. Tell us what we want to hear. This is what Israel was saying at the time. They were engaging in wanting to be fleshly, wanting to uh, compromise, wanting to follow earthly desires. And that's very similar to what we're talking about. So to try to draw a lesson for the single Christian, Jonathan, what would it be? Well, Rick, sometimes a single Christian just wants to participate with everyone else and avoid God's direction. Sometimes you just want to shut off your own spirituality because you're sick and tired. I get it. But Mm -hmm. that's not what God's chosen people are set to do. Let's drop in with some more of Anne's advice at this point, Julie. Well, she said, you are not alone. Our Heavenly Father knows you, your heart, and is working in you in your life, even when you can't see or feel him. And, you know, for that, Isaiah was showing Israel God's place in their lives. So it's like, you know, the the advice that Anne gives really fits with this Isaiah prophecy, and Isaiah is the mouthpiece here. Now, in the next few verses, he proceeds to tell Israel of their trials that will befall them if they look to their earthly neighbors for the rescue. He then reminds them of the grace that God is waiting to shower upon them. But the grace is only going to be showered upon them if they look to God for the grace. Don't look to Egypt. That's the wrong place. That's not where the grace is. Look up. And this is in Isaiah chapter 30. Jonathan, we'll jump down to verses um, 18 and 19. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. So the Lord wants to bless you. He's waiting to bless you. And he says, how blessed are those who long for God, whose passions are turned upward. And I think that's part of what we have to do. That's what Lynette's uh, advice really was. Look up. You don't miss what you've never had. Keep looking up. You know, Israel was supposed to be completely separate from the world. And every time they got mixed up with the world, they got messed up with the world. We have to be looking up. He waits on high to have compassion. Jonathan, the single Christian's lesson here is what? Single Christians must look up and direct their passions upward to be God-blessed. Okay. Passion has to go upward. That's the direction that in your life, that's what God is asking you for. And doing so will grant you the desires of your heart in your service to him. Another 
piece of Anne's advice, Julie? Well, she said, talk about it. Share your struggle and find someone to join you as a prayer warrior on this specific topic. And I think that this really opens my eyes to help my single or widowed or divorced friends to realize that, hey, this is a this is a thing. This is this is something that people struggle with. Our, our human sexuality is is part of us. And then they're dealing with this and they're struggling and they're trying to look up. And I just can say I need to encourage them to continue to look up and not around. Don't look out into the other areas of the other countries. They don't have what's going to bring you peace. Right. So we have to be like Israel as Isaiah is telling them, look up, find that help. And folks, for those of us who are not single Christians, and there's most of us listening are not, our job, our, our opportunity is to understand the depth of this struggle and to be able to give a hand out and a hand up and a, and, and a hug and, and an encouragement and a, I'm, be, I'm with you and I may not completely understand it, but I'm going to try and just to be able to listen and to not judge and to just bring them up toward God because that's where they're going to eventually find their peace and that's our next segment's subject. So, Israel's time of difficulty and trial are temporary and God's guidance will be revealed. That's what Isaiah is telling them. He's telling them, have faith. These next verses, Jonathan, are powerful in terms of the lessons for Israel to avoid earthly thinking and for single Christian friends to avoid the, the, the temptations of their own passions. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 20 and 21. Although the Lord has given you bread of privation and water of oppression, he, your teacher, will no longer hide himself, but your eyes will behold your teacher. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. So the Lord sometimes gives us the bread of privation and the water of oppression. You say, why would God do that? Because those are the tests of our faithfulness to him. And those, when you think about it, really truly are the desires of our hearts because we want to be in line with God's will. So uh, sometimes... Well, Jonathan, go ahead. Just, just sum this up as a focal point for Christian, single Christians dealing with their passion. Sure. Sometimes in this fight, to rightly focus passion, a single Christian feels starved and oppressed. It is in this privation that his way will become manifest. And, and Julie, that reminds me of what you said before, what you found on Instagram. That, you know, sometimes we have that, that situation where, uh, you know, you've, you've got a difficulty and it's, it's, this may be preparing you for God to just swoop in and rescue you, you know, and, and that's a really good place for you to be. Right. And, you know, in, in this point here, you know what, your happily ever after isn't. Well, now what are you going to do? You know, and this goes way beyond not having a spouse or children. It applies to all of us for anything we ever felt that we were entitled to when we look at the script of what our lives should be or should have been or, or whatever. And what are we going to do? What's the worst possible case? I don't get married. I don't have children. Will I be like Job's wife who told Job, curse God and die? Like, is that my option? I'm just going to tell God, okay, if I don't get this what I want, then I, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, but you know, remember Moses had Aaron. Remember uh, that uh, Jesus, you know, went through that life on his own. There's so many examples for us. Our focal point resolve here, Jonathan, in terms of, of, of our earthly passions is what? A passionate single Christian's life is defined by God's countless deliver deliverances from earthly 
to spiritual thinking and actions. Countless deliverances from earthly to spiritual thinking and actions. Countless deliverances. That's how a single Christian's life can be defined. And who wouldn't want their life to be defined by God took care of me, God rescued me, God held me up, God moved me forward, God protected me. That's the way we want our lives to be. Jonathan, one final scripture for this segment, Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. But now, thus says the Lord your Creator, I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched. And let's take that in principle and say when you walk through the, the flames of your own passion, looking up, God can help you. God can hold you. God can deliver you. God does have power even over our own passions. What a relief. It is a relief, a pivotal relief. With all of their life management tools in place, how do single Christians graduate to genuine rest? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com through all our social media channels and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. The last step in this ongoing journey is the step into true, restful, godly peace and contentment. While taking this step is a graduation of sorts, it does not preclude the necessity to keep one's vigilant guard up and in place because peace will be fleeting if it is not nurtured, respected, and protected. So just because you get to a place of peace doesn't mean you get to stay there. It requires us the vigilance of taking our prayer life and our practical life and our purpose and our passion and making sure those things all stay in order all the time. It's so incredibly important for us to be able to leave, live that single Christian life with, with success, with godly, blessed, peaceful success. Let's go to the conclusion of the story from that, uh, that other single Christian who was suddenly single, uh, going through a divorce uh, at this point, and see what her conclusion is at this point of her life. I'm trying to rediscover the mindset I had before I met my husband, the contentment I felt being single so many years ago. The two decisions are still there. I can be miserable over my new status, or I can deliberately look for the positive aspects of being single. For example, I have more time for Bible study and projects for the Lord, and I can pursue activities for personal achievement without having to worry about taking care of a spouse. Each person will have his or her own list to think about. My advice for the originally single people out there is to accept that this might be how the Lord wishes for you to remain, so don't be resistant to His will. Count your blessings, diligently find a way to be content with your status, and wait patiently on the Lord. To those like me who find themselves suddenly single, and not by choice, I would say to thank the Lord for the experience of marriage in the first place, and think hard about how you might have grown as a person because of it. You may also be able to help and inspire others through your difficult experience and newfound single status. Now it's time to look back at your blessings list and never stop praying. See, you know, there, there's such power in those words. 
she 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 sounds like she's looking at this newfound status as as a blessing, and you know it's 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 a difficult blessing. It's a very bittersweet blessing in a lot of ways, but the opportunity to help others by what you've learned is priceless. And that's another tremendous opportunity that our single Christian friends, brothers, and sisters have, is that opportunity to help others in the midst of their own trials, because they understand things in a very personal and deep way. So our final focal point is the the issue we want to talk about here is peace. Jonathan, what of it? Peace. Where does it come from, and how do I keep it? Really Mm. simple. Where does it come from, how do I keep it? Uh, we had some Facebook and Quora quotes, but we're not going to have time for them. We'll put them in Secret Rewind, the full edition. If you don't get that, go to see, uh, ChristianQuestions.com and sign up for that. Uh, just to add to some of the commentary around this in, in, in incredibly important subject. So as we look toward peace, and that's the ultimate end result. We want to be have peace and contentment in our lives. Um, Julie, let's, let's have Anne... And Anne is our 30-somethings, uh, uh, a single Christian, uh, some things up for us. Go ahead. Well, what she, what she ended up saying was, God doesn't promise me a spouse. He promised and already gave me a loving Savior, and his love is the greatest I will ever know. So you can see that in her process, she is looking up. She is trying to look up. And I think it's up to us, those around her, to help her, to help help her when she falls or help her when she starts looking somewhere else. Right. And, you know, at this point in her life, being around 30 years old or so, you can probably say that the struggle is not over. But if you can find the pathway to be able to look up and find peace, if you find it once in a scriptural way, that means you can find it again. And it's just like anything, you know, in the brain our, our habitual thinking, our habitual statements and so forth have these pathways in our brain that are really, really uh, entrenched. They're deep. And we need to create deep spiritual pathways of thinking in order to be able to cope with such a, a challenge as being single and, and a Christian. And it, Go ahead. And these pathways are pathways. We have to find the pathways of joy. Yes. And a lot of times those pathways start with being a blessing to others. Get that focus off of yourself and be a blessing to others. And that's the way you can have a very big, very impactful life with or without a spouse. Okay. Bring us more from, uh, I don't know who you want to go to now, Lynette. I'm gonna go, I, we're going to take Lynette's ending statement. Okay. So Lynette, after, after the sum of her life so far, lived so far, here's where she's come to. She says, my life is filled with friends and activities. They're of all ages, from wise women in their 80s and 90s to young children just learning about life. I have no reason to ever complain. My life is full. And she remembers a quote from Christian Radio that stuck with her. And it said, I love this one. It's better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. (laughs) Yeah. And so... There were no guarantees that the man she would marry today wouldn't change in the next 20 years. And um, she was often told, she said, by kind sisters that it was better not to marry, according to the Apostle Paul. And she realized, and I'll give a scripture quote, 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 35. She realized that it's only better not to marry if you devote your free time to the Lord. 
to be single and devote all our free time to looking for a husband or feeling sorry for ourselves or seeking distractions is not what the apostle had in mind. Okay, let, let, let's pause on that because that is one of the absolute keys to finding peace. You know, we've talked about prayer uh, and making sure that we pray in accordance with the Lord's will. And just because we don't get what we feel we need in our lives doesn't mean that God's not giving us the desires of our heart, because the desires of our heart are truly based on our service to him first and foremost, and our sub-desires behind that therefore can be different as God sees fit. We talked about our practical life and dealing with just the ups and downs and the conversations of everyday life and, and how to be looking up through that. We talked about finding your purpose. Be the Moses of your life. Grab the staff of your life and say, okay, Lord, what's in my hand? It's the staff of my life. What am I supposed to do with it? Okay, okay, I'll do that. I'll do, I'm afraid to do that. I don't know if I can do that much. Wait a minute, you're really pushing me. Find a friend. Find a co-laborer. doesn't have to be a spouse. And often in Scripture, most of the time, it wasn't a spouse. It was another brother or sister that you worked with. Take the passion of your life and turn it upwards so that we can see what... We, if we can learn to redirect the deepest energies of our lives, God can work amazing things through that redirected energy if it's directed spiritually. What, what else from Lynette, Julie? Well, she said the key to contentment, when we focus our attention on the Lord and his plan for our lives and his will that's going to be done through us, we no longer have time to be focused on what we don't have. And the time is so short, she said, I want to be so focused on my heavenly bridegroom that I don't notice the absence of an earthly one. Isn't that wise? It is. And again, it's hard to do, but there's incredible wisdom there's incredible um uh, peace, peace. In, in such a response in such in such a lifelong lesson that lynette has learned going through life now at 59 years old and still single and rejoicing in that and 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 serving and and it, with with enthusiasm and gratitude and contentment gratitude. And peace, all, that's where we all want to get to. And so for our single Christian friends, it's possible. This is the thing you got to realize. It's possible. That's why these five things are so incredibly important. Uh, final words from Joy. Well, Joy said, it doesn't work to feel sorry for yourself. I used to do that all the time. And I think it just makes you less able to cope and less fun to be with. It's better to enjoy the life that God has given us to the fullest. So feeling sorry for yourself, yeah, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Pity party, pity parties. <laughs> it's not good. Just doesn't, it doesn't help. And look, I get it. We all get into situations where we want to have, uh, have the pity party. We want to feel sorry for ourselves. And we as married Christians need to have that compassion to understand that those who are not married are in a different place and we have to be able to want to reach out and be helpful to them in their lives in the right ways not the wrong ways so so jonathan let's get back to the scriptural basis here the peace of god comes from the gift of jesus let me repeat that the peace of god comes from the gift of jesus to have the peace you have to have the gift you can't have the peace without the gift hebrews 4 15 to 16 is a really powerful scripture that helps us understand that gift, especially 
in, in light of our conversation for single Christians? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace. So, Jonathan, the lesson for the single Christian based on that scripture about Jesus is what? Single Christians can rejoice in Jesus' understanding and accomplishment of his single sacrifice. And, you know, we're wording that very specifically, the understanding and accomplishment of his single sacrifice. Jesus wasn't married. Jesus didn't have a girlfriend. Jesus did his work because it was the most important thing to do. Jesus died his life and put things in order in such a way that there was nothing to get in his way. And so for him, that was how he did it. He went through his life single and therefore single-minded. So for our single Christian friends, there is a tremendous encouragement of being like our Lord. Uh, Julie, one last piece of Anne's advice. She said, pray and claim God's promises. I find praying the words of a specific verse really helps when I can't find the words to say. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, Lord, you know my heart and my thoughts. Help me with this this struggle or give me your desires. You see what she did there? She's changing it from the desires of my heart to, okay, what are your desires? I'm going to align my heart with those desires. And therefore, I will get my highest desires because they are aligned with God's will for me. There's such, such power in all of this. So we see Jesus in his single sacrifice. Regarding the Apostle Paul and the thorn in his flesh, he rejoiced in grace and in he rejoiced in his lack. And I think this is another powerful experience and powerful lesson for our single Christian brothers and sisters. So Jonathan, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the Apostle Paul is going through this experience. And again, it goes back to, well, if I don't get the desires of my heart, am I praying amiss? Am I praying because of my own lust? Well, we used Jesus as an example earlier in the podcast. Jesus wasn't praying amiss. God had just a different path. Apostle Paul here not only prays, but he prays three times for this thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God says, no. And through Jesus, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It will be perfected because you are weak. That is the lesson of being able to find peace and contentment when things aren't the way you want them to be. And the apostle's reaction was, I will glory, therefore, in that. And incidentally, 
What, what, what was the Apostle Paul's single example of Jesus here, Jonathan? Single Christians rejoice in Paul's single example of Jesus first, Jesus always, all by God's grace. Okay, we, we need to wrap this up. I uh, messed up <laughs> a little bit here. We're a little bit running out of time. Anne's last piece of advice, Julie, is what? Count your blessings. Reflect on how God is working in your life as a single person in ways that he couldn't if you were married and enjoy these present experiences. Okay. And that's been, that's been echoed by every one of our, our single examples. Okay, thank you. Jonathan, our final focal point resolve is what? Pray always. Fight through your practical life issues with the resolve derived from your godly purpose. Redirect your passion upwards and you will find peace. All right. Prayer, practical life, purpose, passion upward, all of those things bring us peace. That's the bottom line. Julie, in 15 seconds or less, what are your final thoughts? We got to close this up. This is a very important lesson for those of us who are married and it's also an important lesson for those of us who are single. And I think we all can help each other to become better Christians. All right. Very well said. That really is what this is all about. Folks, we are looking at the ability to understand that life is not simple. And especially for single Christians, it has additional challenges that many of us don't know and don't understand. We can all, as the body of Christ, come together and be helpful through prayer, through practical life through finding purpose, through dealing with passion so that we can get to peace. They and us as well. Together, let's join our forces in Christ according to God's will and be mutually encouraging one to another. For Jonathan, Rick, and Julie, and Julie, thanks for being with us. This has been the Christian Questions. We're talking about learning to cope with the most difficult challenges of life. And by God's grace, not only can you cope, you can overcome as well. Folks, listen, until we want to hear from you, we want you to give us your feedback, send us your questions on this episode, other episodes, a big part of spreading the word about our program, subscribing to Christian Questions and iTunes, Google Play, every place else. Make it a point to come and see us and talk to us. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, single and Christian, rejoice in God's opportunities. Till next week, think about it. And by the way, next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus and his sacrifice. <laughs>